Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Who's excited that the NFL is kicking off? I kind of am. Who was excited that CU beat Nebraska yesterday? Do we have any Nebraska fans? So we can just whoop, whoop, get crazy, yeah. Um, they're all like, yeah, I'm a Nebraska fan. Um, anyway, my name's Scott. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, and we're delighted that you chose to worship with us, if you're a guest with us today, we hope more than anything, you feel loved, you feel welcomed. We don't care whether you love Novation Church. We want you to fall more in love with Jesus or be introduced to him because that's what this is really all about. We're a community of, of believers just following after him. We're imperfect people. You hang out with us long enough, you'll realize we're imperfect, but we're following a perfect Savior. And so let's pray to him before we dig into the word. God, as we worship you this morning and as we even prepare our hearts for communion and all that you have for us, we thank you for who you are. God, I know in this room this morning there are burdens that people are carrying, there are hurts, there's strife, there's difficult circumstances. Lord, you're the answer. You're the answer to all of that. You are our living hope. I pray, God, that we would have something reignited in us if, if the flame of passion and love for you has flickered and, and, and gone down in any way, we pray that you would raise that up. Turn the heat up in our hearts, Lord, because we know that at the end of the day, you are all that matters, and our relationship with you, from that flows every other relationship, flows every other thing that we put our hands to in this life. So be glorified, God. We do not need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. And so, God, I humble myself before you that, uh, God, you would use me today to bring the word that we need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, the power of a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise, right? And I've kind of rediscovered that this week in that I try to be a person of, of my word, but in our house, Janelle and I are almost empty nesters. We still have Chandler at home, two out of the house, and we have a little dog that uh, annoys me big time, right? Just being honest. And so Chandler is so sweet to most of the time take little Daisy at night and then get up with her in the morning. It's like getting up with a child, with a baby. <laughs> get a feeder and make sure she goes potty and all that stuff. And I hate that job. Like, let's just be honest. Like, that's not my favorite thing to do. And you dog lovers and animal lovers, that's fun for you, but it's not fun for me. So um, when we get ready to go to bed, so Chandler mostly takes her, and sometimes she'll say, well, when are you going to take her? And I'm like, tomorrow night. We'll, we'll take her tomorrow night. Tomorrow night comes around. Could you just take her one more night? Or we'll take her on Sunday night or whatever. And so I realized last night that I'm not keeping my promise when it comes to, to, I say one thing to placate the situation so that I can just be okay in that moment. And that's not right. And so I did repent to my daughter and it's all good in, in our household. But the, the power of a promise is only as good as the one who gives it. 
Jesus is the ultimate promise keeper. When he makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. You, you can hold on to it dearly. And he made a promise in Revelation 21, verse 5. He said, behold, I am making all things new. What an amazing promise that he's making all things new. This world looks disastrous at times and, and crazy. And he said, behold, I'm making all things new. So when you think of him making all things new, think of it first in the past tense. If you are a believer in Jesus, you've experienced the gospel, the, the New Testament says that you're a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things have been made new. The past is gone. So in that sense, past tense, we are new creations. He's made you new. How come I don't always live like a new creation? Do you always live like a new creation and think like a new creation? Do you drive like a new creation? We don't, do we? We're, we're always aware of our own brokenness and, and sinfulness. Here's the good news. In the present tense, Jesus is making you new, practically. He's making what's happened in the past positionally new in the present by conforming your heart to the likeness of him in your character and how you think, how you act, how you speak, how you relate to people. So that's a good promise. And then there's the future promise of all things new, and it's called the renewal of all things. When Jesus comes again, he's going to create the new heavens and the new earth, set everything straight, set everything that's wrong and make it right, and there's going to be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more death, no more betrayal. All things are going to be perfect in eternity. And so for this series that we're starting today called All Things New, mostly we're going to look at the present tense and how he's making you and I new practically in our lives. And today we're going to start out with the subject of passion and how he is renewing our passion. Passion, by definition, is a compelling desire. It's enthusiasm. It's, it is uh, being excited, but it's more than emotion. It's something that drives you. And you know, if you look up the word passion in the dictionary, you'll see also the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Uh, around Easter time, we go to passion plays. Jesus' work on the cross is considered his passion for what he did for us. Passion is what gives us energy. Passion is what gets us out of bed in the morning to go do whatever it is we've been called to do. And a lack of passion makes us want to curl up and hit the snooze button over and over and over. So passion is an important thing. Passion for the right things gives purpose and meaning to life. It gives us purpose. It gives us excitement. It, gives, it causes us to give our all. And you, you look at sports teams or, or art or, or music or whatever, passion is what causes someone to give their all. Passion for God, and what we're going to talk about today, how do we renew our passion for the Lord? Passion for God comes from knowing what God is passionate about and giving your life to it. Do you know what God is passionate about? When you find out what God is passionate about and you give your all, you give your life to that, then you will never, ever lack passion in your life. And so the question we kind of got to start with is, where do I, where do I spend my, my time, 
my talent, and my treasure? Where do I spend the, the majority of my time? Where do I spend and use my talent? And where do I spend the majority of my treasures? Because those three things, is a, it will be a trail that will lead you to what you're truly passionate about, where, where those things go. Now, that doesn't mean like everything we do, like if you give your time to your children or to your marriage, those are good things to, that God wants you to be passionate about. And so, but think about that. Where does the majority of your time, talent, and treasure go to? In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes this, this statement. I, one of the first verses I ever memorized, he said, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. See that word zeal. Keep your, keep your never be lacking in zeal, enthusiasm for the Lord, and keep your spiritual fervor, which means passion. Keep your passion for the Lord. You know what that word keep means? It means that having passion for the Lord it's not something that, it's, it's something that needs to be maintained. It's something that needs to be held on to. It's something that can be let go of. And so we need to main, maintain that. It's not automatic to be passionate for the Lord. When you first become a Christian, I, I would bet a lot of people in this room, you remember a day that, that, boom, this is the day that it happened, that I became a follower of Jesus and my life changed. I, I have that and, and when you're an, a new Christian, man, don't you remember that every prayer got answered? <laughs> Everything you did was just, ah, Jesus, Jesus, I want more of Jesus. I want to be around the church. I want to tell everybody about Jesus. Sometimes in church, we call that the honeymoon period. You're in this honeymoon uh, with, with Jesus, honeymoon in your walk. You know, if, if you've been raised in church and you've been a Christian all your life, it doesn't matter that you don't have that, oh, I remember this date and time that I actually became a Christian, but I bet you have times in your life that you had that, this moment of aha about who he was, and this new passion rose up inside of you. So for both, either or, maintaining that passion is something that we need to be very aware of, because there's so many things that, that take away or try to rob us of our passion. It's kind of like the guy that gets married and um, tells his wife in their ceremony, I love you, you're beautiful, etc." And then years later, she says, honey, why don't, why don't you tell me that you love me and that, that I'm beautiful anymore? And he says, well, I told you when we got married that I loved you and you're beautiful. If that changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> How would that fly, right? Not so good. Well, when it comes to our passion for the Lord, it is a, something that, that we, we grow in. And, and here's a question that I ask us corporately as a community and as individuals. Have you lost your passion? Have you lost that zeal? Have you lost spiritual fervor for the Lord? And some of you may go, I don't know what that even is. Well, I think today is the right day for all of us to learn about that. So as we're going to unpack this, there's about six or seven things that I think are passion killers, things that, that steal passion from our life or quench passion in our life that we need to, to know about. And I would say the first thing that steals our passion or kills it is not knowing my purpose, not knowing my purpose. 
clear passion will, will equal a real, I mean, a clear purpose will equal real passion. Clear purpose, real passion. There was a, I'm a child of the 80s. Any other child of the 80s? Children, children's of the 80s? Um, there was a song by the Godfathers that went like this. This was the chorus. It went, birth, school, work, death. Birth, school, work, death. Birth, school, work, death. Birth, school, work, death. And after a while, you're going, man, life is horrible. Like, <laughs> what an amazing build-me-up kind of song. Thank you, guys. The guys were singing on birth, school, work, death. Made me think of uh, one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies, Joe versus the Volcano. Who's, who's seen Joe versus the Volcano? Joe versus the Volcano is a story that Tom Hanks plays this guy named Joe Banks. And Joe Banks lives the most boring job. He goes to a, uh, he, he lives the most boring life doing the most mundane job. And he goes to work every day and just kind of an autopilot. He has his boss that picks on him all the time. And through all of that, he becomes a hypochondriac. And he thinks he's sure he's sick. He's sure he's dying. So he goes to the doctor. He says, Doc, what's wrong with me? And the doctor says, well, you have this thing. It's called a brain cloud. And he goes, I knew it. You know, brain cloud. I knew, I knew I had a problem. How long do I have to live? The doc says, I'll give you about six months. He's like, okay. So he leaves. The next thing you know, there's a knock on his door. And this guy comes to him and he says, listen, I, are you Joe Banks? Yeah, I heard you have six months to live. Is that true? It's true. And he says, I want to make you an offer. He says, I want to make the next six months of your life an adventure that you finish out with a bang. I'm going to give you all the money, material things that you need. You're going to live the good life. But here's the catch. I own an island in the South Pacific called Wapuni Island. And the Wapuni people every year want a willing sacrifice to jump into the big volcano so that the, the volcano won't erupt. And he says, would you be willing to do that for me? He says, sure. I remember. He goes, okay. You know, the Tom Hanks way, okay. And so uh, he goes through this little journey to get to the volcano. And ultimately, when at the end of the story, I'm blowing it for you, but it was from the 80s, so you should have seen it by now. He, he ends up not dying, but at the end of the movie, he realizes by living that adventure for six months and realizing what his purpose was going to be, he realized he wasn't sick at all and that that brain cloud was just something that he made up himself and he found his purpose. What a great illustration for us. My wife, Janelle, most amazing woman on the planet. <laughs> First in my book. She uh, is an amazing lady. And anybody that's been around Janelle, you, you realize how gifted she is and creative and all that she does. Uh, before we felt the calling to start Novation Church, she was working a job that was kind of a dead-end job that just didn't, wasn't fulfilling. And I remember one day we were on a walk. And she was kind of frustrated, and she said, I need a calling. I need a calling. And that stuck with me. And when we felt God prompt us to start Novation, boy, did she find her calling. 
You know what I'm saying? And who she is and how she's gifted and how she could use her gifts in a greater way than she could, could ever dream. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know today. In, in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Say this with me. I am God's masterpiece. Say it again. I am God's masterpiece. I wonder if you believe that. A masterpiece is like someone's best work. You are his best work, and it says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's awesome. We've been renewed, recreated in Christ to do the things that he's called us to do. When you think of the word purpose, and you might think today, I don't know what my purpose is. Hopefully without sounding arrogant, I know what your purpose is. Jesus said that the purpose of your life is to love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. If you will do those two things, you will be walking out the purpose. Calling, when when we use that, that kind of Christian buzzword of a calling, what's the calling on my life? Your calling is the unique way that God wants you to live out your purpose of loving him and loving others. My, my calling is not yours. Yours isn't mine. Your calling isn't your neighbor's. We all have a unique calling. It, whether I was a pastor or I sold cars or I was in the military or whatever I did, I would still be me and I would still be the same person that I am doing what I do. And the same goes for you. So if you don't have a, had a chance to understand what your calling is, man, we want to help. I would love to help. We have a team of people and resources to help you find that calling. Because another word that's important in this purpose calling is assignment. And your assignment is the immediate context in which you are living out your calling and purpose. So what you do for a job right now is irrelevant to your calling and purpose. It's an assignment. It's the spot that God has you in or the the season that God has you in to live out your calling and purpose. He can change your assignment tomorrow, but he might want you in that assignment for a reason because you're the right person at the right time. Sometimes we want circumstances to change so quick, but God has a purpose in that. That's so important. Don't confuse what you do for a living with your purpose and calling. Second reason or second thing that can kill our passion is not nourishing our spirits. When I don't nourish my spirit, it's going to kill my passion for the Lord. Paul in Colossians chapter 2, he says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep, go down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, get in the habit of feeding on God's word. It's so important. God gave us these words to nourish our souls. Make it a priority in your life. I want to brag on my good friend, Phil Diaz. He's not here, so I can talk about him this morning. Um, Phil is such a stud. Phil is 75 years old, been walking with the Lord for a long time. And he told me recently over a pizza that he's uh, found this new hunger for God's word. 
And then if I were to catch him at the right time, he's got three or four Bibles and a concordance and this and that. And he's just like, ah, let me just feed, feed, feed. He's nourishing his soul and he's continuing to grow. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been walking with God. Just as you need to feed your body food, your soul needs spiritual food, the word of God. Another reason or thing that, that kills our passion is not confessing our sin. Not confessing our sin. The psalmist, he said, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. Guilt over unconfessed sin is a burden. And here's what's important. Confession of sin isn't for God to to pull out his checklist and go, oh, Scott confessed that lie. Oh, but there's 30 other things he hasn't confessed. I'm still really ticked at him. That's not how God works. We live under the grace of God. When Jesus died for us, he died for every sin, past, present, and future. So why do we confess? It's taking out the garbage. Just as you take out the garbage when it piles up, you got to take out the garbage, so to speak, that gets into our lives and into our hearts. When we don't confess our sin, it creates this barrier between us and God. But the catch is, it's got nothing to do with God. God's not over there building a wall. We, in our guilt and our humanness, kind of go, oh, God's mad at me, or I'm holding on to this, so I'm going to pretend he doesn't exist or he can't hear me. (laughs) And God's going, can we talk about this? It's like any relationship that's strained. Finally, when you talk about it and you work through it, ah, but God doesn't need to do that. We do. So it's important that we understand that. He gave us the remedy in 1 John 1.9, if you're taking notes, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. Another thing that will cause us to lack passion or to kill passion is not spending time with other believers. That's important. Passion is contagious. Being around other people who are following Jesus to encourage you to pray together, grow together, is so important. So important, the writer of the book of Hebrews said this, let us be concerned for one another, to help one another, to show love and to do good. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming nearer. It's difficult enough to walk in this world, right, and not have our passion and and faith bombarded left and right. We need one another. God gave us one another to encourage one another, to feed off one another's passion and to help one another. So if you're not around believers, and listen, you need more than an hour on a Sunday morning. You really do. It's great to come together and have fellowship, but man, we need to be connected. That's why it's, we stress so much at Novation, community, home groups, core groups, uh, things that we can do together so that we build relationships and friendships. Life's tough. Who are you going to call when a crisis happens? And hopefully you're connected enough that you call your home group or you, you know somebody and say, man, can you pray with me? Can you help me through this? Another thing that that robs our our passion or kills our passion is not using my gifts and talents. 
not using my gifts and talents. It says in uh, 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. That's each of you. So everyone in here has a gift. Use them well to serve one another. The purpose of your gift and talent is not just for you. It's not really even for you. It's so that you can serve and to serve one another. And when you serve people, that's going to create passion. When you're used to influence somebody or to help or to just make life better for somebody else, that's going to create a momentum of passion in your life. The Christian life can get very stagnant when you're not contributing. If you're not contributing to other people's lives, other people's walks, the church, uh, your home group, whatever you, you put in there, then your life is going to feel stagnant and passionless. All right, another one. Not resolving conflicts is a passion killer. When you have unresolved conflict in your life, it's going to rob passion from your walk with the Lord. It's hard to hear from God when I'm at odds with a brother or a sister. That's just a fact. That's why Jesus talked about that. He said, listen, when you come to bring your gift to the altar and you have a problem with a brother or a sister, forget that. Go and be reconciled. Then come bring your gift to the altar. So important that we, that we recognize resolving conflicts. Now, there's a, a promise in the book of Philippians that you probably have, have, have read or if you've read the Bible before or been around church long enough. Philippians 4.4 4 says this. You could probably quote it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Quite a promise, right? We can take our anxieties to the Lord, and the peace of Christ will guard our hearts and our minds. Here's what a lot of people don't realize about that verse. And this is, you'll hear me stress this over and over. We've got to always read the Bible and read verses in their context. Context is, what do the verses before say? What do the verses after say? What does the chapter mean? What does the book mean? And when you know something in its context, it helps us understand the deeper meaning. The context of that very promise that I just read to you is there was a lady named Iodia and a lady named Synteche, strange names, but Iodia and Synteche were in conflict. They weren't getting along. And Paul says it. You read it in the in, start in verse 2. He says, I plead with you guys, get along. Solve your conflict. Agree in the Lord. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord. And cast your, you know, your anxiety on him and all of, all of what I just read there. So if you're in an unresolved conflict, listen, and some, some of you might be in a conflict this morning that you've tried to resolve, and the other person is uncooperative, you can't do anything about that. You can't make someone do what they don't want to do. But, but the Word says that as long as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. 
So you just make sure today, if you're in an unresolved conflict, that you do whatever you can do to be at peace and it won't steal your passion. All right, the last one is this. The last passion killer is not having a balanced schedule. Not having a balanced schedule. I bet if we were to take a poll in here, (laughs) how many people feel like life is out of control? Especially if you're 55 and under. Not that anybody over 55 cannot have a balanced schedule. I'm not saying that. But with kids and and, and life and schedules and sports and school and this, you're, you're just running around crazy. And an unbalanced schedule will cause you to lack passion. I love what the psalmist says. He gives a a warning and a promise in Psalm 127, verse 2. It is useless for you to work so hard from early in the morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, being overworked and being underworked are both going to be passion killers. When you're overworked and life is just go, 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 it's going to be hard to have passion because it's going to be hard to even like hold your eyes open, right? But if you're underworked and maybe there's some, some laziness that's going on there and you're not doing the things that you know you should be, you're going to lack passion too. So there's always this balance in Scripture of work and rest, doing and rest. That's why God created the Sabbath. He didn't create it as a rule to be followed. He gave it as a gift for us to learn to relax and to take a day to create, create margin in our life for the balance of, of work and rest. So there's a battle for your passion. The devil does not want anyone in this room to be passionate about the Lord. He fears that. Because greater is he that lives in you than he who is in this world trying to intimidate you or lull you to sleep or scare you or whatever. He wants whatever he can do to squelch your passion. That's why we're told, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. So besides those those things that I just talked about that are passion killers, the opposite of each one of those is going to be something that brings passion in your life. Finding your purpose, nourishing your spirit, confessing your sins, and so on. Balancing your schedule. Those things will renew your passion. But I think there's one thing more than all that will daily renew our passion. And it's this. Meditate on why Jesus was on the cross often. If you will learn to meditate daily on why Jesus was on the cross. It'll create passion. The very first song we sang today was about amazing grace, right? There's like 40 versions of that now. I like them all. But here's a question I have to ask myself, and I get to ask you as well. Is grace amazing to you today? Are you moved when you think about why Jesus was on the cross? When's the last time you just sat and contemplated what he went through for you? When's the last time you sat and thought about what he went through 
in his life and the suffering, being separated from the Father. And that makes grace amazing because we live in grace. There's nothing you or I can do to ever merit or earn the favor of God. It's all by grace. I think the problem sometimes is we have what I would call crossless conversions where people, they want whatever the benefits of following Jesus seem to be or they want a get-out-of-jail-free card, or they want to clean up their life. But the only way is through a bloody cross, a bloody wooden cross. My mom, she passed away about a year and a half ago. Before she became a Christian, she became a Christian at 48. And I remember her telling me that she waited so long because she thought she had to clean herself up in her own words. If I quit smoking, if I quit this, and if I become, stop cussing, I'll, I'll be a better person, then I can come to Jesus. Uh, hello, mom. <laughs> uh, that's why we need Jesus. And she learned that you bring your bags, you bring your junk, you bring your brokenness, you bring all of that, and you bring that to him. Let him clean you up. Don't wait until you think your life is better or your life is, is healing to come to Jesus. That's not going to work. You'll just find yourself beat down again. You come to him baggage and all and then let the spirit of God begin to work the power of the cross in and through your life. Meditate why he was on the cross. It was to deliver us from our brokenness. It was to deliver us from sin. It was to break the power of death. That's the other thing in our worship is our worship should always be cross-centered. When you worship Jesus, you come to boldly before the throne of grace because of Jesus. You can come before God confidently because of what Jesus did. So two things. When I look at the cross, I find out how passionate God is about me. And that's important. Because if you don't know that God is passionate about you, you're going to have a hard time being passionate for him. But when you, when you know this in human love, when someone shows you love, when someone shows you that they care, that makes you want to love them even more. And it's not that we, we give love to get love, but in our humanness, you know, we, we get that. God gives perfect love without even needing anything in return. He was so passionate for us, he was willing to do what he did. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I wonder today if you're in some difficult circumstances, physically, financially, relationally, and you begin to doubt, does God really love me? I wouldn't be going through this if he really loved me. That's hogwash. We're never told any promises in the Bible that circumstances are, are the things we need to look to to know whether God loves us or not. In fact, Jesus said in this life, you're going to go through trials and sorrows of many kind. 
but take courage. I've overcome the world. Don't let your, dic- your circumstances dictate whether God loves you or not. And the other thing that's a false indicator of whether God loves you is your feelings. Feelings is, man, it's like riding the wild chipmunk. It's up, down, all over the place. They're, feelings can lie. We know that. So what determines God's love for us is not what we do for him, but what he's done for us. Erwin McManus said this. He said, the cross points to everything that God is passionate about. God the Son so passionately hates the destructive force of sin that he was willing to die to overcome it. And he so passionately loves humanity that he was willing to give even his own life on our behalf. You know what you're passionate about when you're willing to lay your life down for it. So true. Second truth about meditating on the cross often and why he was on the cross is when I look at the cross, I find out how passionate God is for his creation and what the priority of my life should be. When you gaze upon the cross, you realize this, God loves people. People matter to God. You matter to God when you see how passionate God is for you, but when you gaze upon the cross, you realize how much people matter to God, that God so loved the world, he gave Jesus to be the sacrifice for the world, that we may have eternal life. God, people matter to God. So keep this in mind. You matter to God, and so does your coworker, drives you nuts. So does your coworker who doesn't believe like you. So does your neighbor who doesn't look like you, think like you, believe like you, or even vote like you. We got to remember that. People are not our enemies. We've been saved by grace and have a calling on our life to love people. Not to say us or them, in or out, man. You've been saved by grace. I've been saved by grace. All of our lives could have gone down a hundred different horrible paths, and you're here today. You didn't do anything. God's grace and hand was upon your life so that you could know him. People need to know that. That's importance of a mission trip. Man, let me stress going on a short-term mission trip. When you go on a short-term mission trip, it creates passion because you realize outside of your own little bubble world that you live in that God's at work and that people people are people wherever you go. Go on a mission trip. It says this in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. For there is one God and one mediator who can, recon- who, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Let me encourage you with this. Learn to read the Bible through the, the lens of me, like yourself. We do. When we read the Bible, we should read the Bible and say, what does this mean to me? What does this mean for me? But it is so important that we don't stop at me. Learn to read the Bible through the lens of we. Because he created a family. He created a community, his church. 
So don't just read it about you, but read it about we, but then move to the ultimate level. Read the Bible about God's through the lens of all humanity. God loves people. He loves people. Our job is not to judge people. Our job is to love people. Remember that. It's not our job to judge people. God's the judge. Obviously, we tell people about Jesus. We pray for them. We love them. But it's not our job to convert people. It's our job to bear witness to the goodness in love of Jesus found in the gospel. That's your job. You don't convert anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We don't win anyone to Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. So remember that today when you're around people that don't think, act, whatever, like you, God loves them. He created them in his image. Find your heart moving towards compassion. Look at that word passion in the word compassion. When you ask God for a compassionate heart for people's brokenness, you'll stop judging. And you'll, stop, you'll start crying. And you'll start praying. And you'll start caring. You'll start loving in a deeper way than you ever dreamed before. So we're going to move into communion. And the communion bread and juice are up at these tables up here. And here's my hope and prayer, what I've been praying for all week is that this wouldn't just be another communion. When you take the juice, when you take the bread, that you would meditate on that piece of bread that, that Jesus said represented his body that was going to be beaten and broken for you. And when you look at that juice, he said that represents his blood that would be shed to make us right with God and to make us whole. And that today passion would be reignited and you'd be free to worship him in a fresh new way so what I want you to do is come and grab the, the juice and the bread take it back to your seat and then we're going to take it together uh, as a family elements um, let's remember that Jesus told us to do this right told us to eat and drink in remembrance of what he did for us. He was telling his disciples, I'm about to do this for you. And I want you to remember. And as we, as we look at the bread, I think about the scriptures over and over that in Isaiah that prophesied the torture that he was going to go through his beard plucked out, his side pierced, his hands and feet nailed. He did that so that we could be right with him. I can't think of another thing that would show us love and give us passion. And his blood that would be shed, put over the mercy seat in heaven. We could know that we're forgiven past, present, and future. He did away with sin's penalty. And today we come by faith, each one of us, asking God to renew our passion for him. God, let us not get caught up in the world or 
trivial, goofy things, but Lord, let us be morphed into your likeness and become more loving and caring, care about the things that you care about. So as we remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread, he lifted it to heaven, he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat this bread, which represents my body that's broken for you. Let's take the bread. Scripture goes on to say that after they ate, that Jesus poured a cup of wine and he, and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. He told his disciples, he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant in my blood. No longer a need for animal sacrifices and, and all of that, that this would be the sacrifice of sacrifices. All those things pointed to him. And that we could come freely to God and boldly to God because of him. So let's ask God to reignite our passion as we take the what you did for us if that was the only thing you did for us it's more than enough and we're eternally grateful that we have eternity with you thank you for renewing us regenerating us giving us new life new hope purpose Lord today we lay all of our burdens at your feet and say reignite us with passion Thank you that you're making all things new and part of making all things new is us. Lord, you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you're renewing your creation. It's gonna come to a culmination in the near future. Find us ready and excited for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.